This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. In Singapore, one in four residents will be over the age of 65 come 2030. People are also living longer, with the number of residents aged 90 and older having doubled over the past decade. So with age, the risk of sustaining a fall or fracture inevitably rises. Falls and fall-related accidents are a leading cause of injuries among the elderly here. And this is why it is important to screen for osteoporosis, otherwise known as porous bones. So my guest today is Dr. Tan Li Feng, the Deputy Head of Geriatric Medicine at Alexandra Hospital. She published a study recently in Calcified Tissue International, that's a journal of the International Osteoporosis Foundation, that recommended that older adults should be screened for osteoporosis. And that's because the risk and burden of osteoporotic fractures increase with age, and underdiagnosis and undertreatment in the oldest old remains an urgent problem. And it's not just women, but also the men who should be screened. So let's hear from Dr. Tan. Hi, Dr. Tan. Welcome to Health Check. Thank you, Joyce. So let's talk about how osteoporosis can be managed in order to keep broken bones at bay. Your paper points out that the older one is, the more one should pay attention to frailty, fall risks, and cognitive impairment. Can you tell us how all these are linked to the management of osteoporosis? So persons who are advancedly frail, meaning they are bit bound with very little uh, ambulation, uh, some may choose not to opt for osteoporosis screening and treatment because the benefits are likely to be diminished. But there are certainly more and more older adults who will continue to remain fairly fit, not very frail and functional even in advanced age. They should be uh, treated for osteoporosis because they stand to benefit. You know, um, it will help to prevent functional decline as well as fractures. In terms of cognitive impairment, um, it should not be a reason to not start persons on osteoporosis treatment. In fact, those who are cognitively impaired, many still continue to remain fairly functional. I see. But the, the thing with osteoporosis is that it's, you know, it's often called a silent disease, right? Because your bones have been weakening for years, but you won't know it until a bone breaks. So, you know, how would they know that they need to actually get it screened or, and treated actually? Yeah, so I think the term silent disease is a very appropriate term. Um, you can say uh, the same of other conditions like hypertension uh, and hyperlipidemia and also diabetes to some extent. So actually, in terms of bone health, um, at the age of 30 onwards, our bone density will start to slowly decline. In women, this is especially so after menopause, um, where the rate of decline will be greater. So international as well as local guidelines will state that um, anybody above 65, especially for women, should be screened. And there are certain patient groups who will be at higher risk, so those with um, false risk, those with diabetes, those with conditions that predispose them to falling and other risk factors, these persons should be screened even more proactively. So um, if you look around, you will see people who are increasingly stooped or hunched back. And especially in a lot of elderly, this is likely due to compression fractures that may have accrued slowly over time, over the years. They can be silent and they, there may not be a single event that causes them. They may not be associated with pain. So many people don't think it is a problem, are not aware and are not aware of the treatment options. Even though the treatment is relatively simple and affordable for the everyday person. And of course, there are more serious fractures. In an older adult, if you do not fix a hip fracture, 
the mortality rate is very, very significant, especially in one or two years. It's not just the fracture, but the loss of ambulation, uh, remaining, you know, sedentary, not being able to stand significantly has a very significant impact on older adults. So what the paper does show is that, yes, if you've had a fracture, then you're more likely to accept osteoporosis screening and management. And these people should continue because they are already at very high risk once you've sustained a fracture. But there are so many who have not yet sustained a fracture and for whom osteoporosis treatment will significantly reduce um, the fracture risk. So it is a very big problem, probably underappreciated at present, and it will continue to grow, especially with an aging population. So this should be like a standard procedure then, like a standard screening that one should do after a certain age. Yeah, so the way you screen is by doing a bone mineral density scan. I see. How does it work? So like an x-ray? Yes, just a very simple x-ray, one done at the hip and done at the spine. The parts that are more prone to fractures. That's right. So women above 65 should get a bone mineral density test. What about men? For men, I think between from 65 to maybe before 80, uh, the cardiac issues, the heart issues, those tend to be a greater problem. I see. Well, what are the guidelines then internationally? For men, if they have risk factors, so, you know, any cognitive impairment, certain conditions, diabetes, um, predisposing conditions, then they should be screened. Although at 65, the prevalence of osteoporosis in men will not be as high uh, compared to women. But probably once you move into a decade on, the prevalence will probably almost equalize between men and women. Right, but you mentioned the problem of osteoporosis actually increased after imposed uh, menopausal women, right? So 65 seems a little late, actually. Shouldn't it be earlier? So whilst it's still declining, it probably only reaches the osteoporosis range at that age, thankfully, because if we're osteoporotic when we're in our 40s and 50s, we will have a lot of problems. So it's just that at 65 onwards, then the prevalence of osteoporosis will be there. But by saying that from 30 onwards, bone density declines, it's just a reminder that like with many things, you know, people with diabetes, for example, may not run into problems, you know, until their 60s or 70s. So when people come, for example, in their older years and ask us, how do we prevent? We will definitely tell them and you can definitely still prevent and slow down the decline. But a lot of it starts off, where, where, where do you start? Where's your starting base when you're 30? And if you start at a very high base, you may never reach an osteoporotic range even you know, in your 80s. I see. So tell us how, what we can do. Yeah. So for, for anybody, young or old, um, regular exercise. So um, I think recently uh, the Health Promotion Board has come up with exercise guidelines um, for various ages, including for pregnant women, right? So uh, regular exercise, uh, high intensity, it should be weight-bearing exercise, meaning it should put pressure on your bones, which is why, for example, astronauts you know, suffer from osteoporosis because there's no gravity. You know, a lot of research is also going into how there's a lot of uh, muscle-bone interaction, that the strength of your muscles you know, also, uh, and uh, what we call sarcopenia, all of these have effects on osteoporosis as well. So just overall exercise, eating well, you know, drinking sufficient milk, getting enough sunlight exposure, uh, which will help with the vitamin D levels. All of this, you know, can be started at any age, um, not just when you're old, but but any time. I see. But when you're older and you might have some, you know, maybe some pain in the legs and just not as mobile as before, what sort of exercises should they be doing? 
Yes, brisk walking, stair climbing. Yeah, I think, um, and of course, definitely any exercise is better than no exercise. And on this issue of, yeah, you know, aches and pains. Um, So sometimes we have LU come in and uh, they'll say, yeah, you know, my knees hurt. So, but I don't do anything about it. You know, I'm not going to consider knee replacement. And it's not just about living with that pain in your knee, but what is that effect on the rest of your, your life and your function? If your function is limited, you're not able to go walking or do brisk walking as much, then that has effects not just on I accept my arthritis, but it has effects on exercise, your overall health, your weight, your BMI, you know, hypertension, cholesterol. So it's really not just um, looking at one condition, but the effect on overall. So I think COVID, for example, really uh, showed us, you know, what the effects of a prolonged isolation, you know, not wanting to venture out can have on our health and, and well-being. So yeah, just going out, getting exercise, getting into the sunlight, those are very important for an older adult, even if you cannot run, for example. Uh, there's also a program uh, now, uh, re- recently of late, the past couple of years, led by our public health services called Gym Tonic. So people can go on to gymtonic.sg where there's actually a specific tailored exercises that include weight-bearing exercises with the use of some gym equipment that are specially designed for older adults. So just because you're old doesn't mean you can't go to a gym. You should. And with the right treatment resources, this yeah, we, we can help our seniors to age uh, healthily and actively. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Now back to my conversation with Dr. Tan Li Feng, a geriatrician from Alexandra Hospital. So Dr. Tan, tell us more about the treatment options for osteoporosis. So um, in terms of the treatments, the simplest will be oral treatment. In fact, it's a once a week pill. The main side effect is that they can get a bit of a gastric from it. So if you have gastric problems, then we may want to consider trying another agent. But the simplest is an oral pill and it's taken once a week. I don't think the, the most subsidized one, it doesn't cost more than a few dollars a month. So it's really very accessible to most people. There are also injectable forms, which are more costly, but uh, these injectable forms uh, help overcome the problem of compliance. Some people forget uh, once a week and then so many things to manage, uh, they may forget it. And again, for people who have you know, hypertension, hyperlipidemia and diabetes, after five or more pills, they may think that this osteoporosis pill is not important and they may not take it. So there's one that is given uh, subcutaneous, so it's just injected into the skin. Uh, just one jab is given once every six months. And there's another form that's also given intravenously, and that's just once a year. So um, yeah, with a jab that can be given once a year, why not? We, we should be giving it more. Of course, cost is a consideration. It is about $600 for that one jab, but it lasts you one year. So um, these are things that can be discussed, that can be offered. Right. And how much is the screening, by the way? If you go to a public hospital with standard subsidies, I don't think it will cost you more than $50, probably even a lot less, especially for older adults with, you know, your Pioneer Generation scheme, your Medica scheme. Right. So can anybody just, you know, can we just walk in and ask for a test or do you have to be above 65? Um, anyone above 65, if you request, it can be done easily. Um, less than 65, there's no need to screen unless there's a specific concern. Because again, 
the, the rates of osteoporosis uh, before 65 are not very high. So you could get it done, but the doctor probably wondering why, what is the concern? And if there are no risk factors, um, it's not necessary at this point. I see. I mean, what if you, you know, like reach uh, menopause, say, before the age of 40 or something? Then these would actually um, probably get referred to um, an endocrinologist who looks into this. And then the, so these high risk groups would fall under an endocrinologist, probably for if, if they're on hormonal treatment, for example, and the endocrinologist will manage accordingly. But for the general population, less than 65, there's no real concern. I see. Okay, sounds good. So, Dr. Dan, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, the things that people can consume on their own before they get to this problem. Yeah, so for younger people, right? So, if you're looking at preventing osteoporosis, you know, what can you eat? I mean, there's so much talk about all this calcium and vitamin D supplements, right? I think recently the interest has been on uh, vitamin D supplements rather than calcium. Yeah, tell us more about this. Yes. So, um, when it comes to diet, uh, and in fact, for, for a lot of Asians, where we don't have, you know, a lot of, uh, for example, milk or dairy in our diet compared to uh, some other populations. So for those who drink a lot of milk and have a lot of cheese in their diet, then, then that's good. But for those Asians, you know, especially where we tend to take a lot of carbohydrates, um, then, then we need to, to, to work on incorporating foods which have more calcium um, and vitamin D. So um, different types of food will have different content, but some examples will be yeah, soya bean products, you know, bean curd, tofu, um, almonds. When it comes to meat, so meat is good, although try not to eat as much red meat, but especially bony fish. So even your, your ikan bilis, for example, canned sardines, these have uh, higher amounts of uh, calcium in them. Uh, and vegetables as well, so green leafy vegetables um, to have a healthy portion in your diet. So for vitamin D, again, um, yeah, mo- most of it comes from sunlight. Of course, we have to be careful to not expose ourselves uh, too much because of UV. Yeah, and getting your regular healthy dose of exercise three to four times a week uh, will be useful. I see, because they work together, right? Vitamin D and calcium. Yes. Do you prescribe supplements at all? I mean, do you think, do you recommend them? Yes. So, um, uh, in older adults whom I predominantly see, so uh, vitamin D, yes, uh, there's been a lot more work done into looking at this specific vitamin uh, lately. Um, so, for the general population, actually, there's uh, no real need to screen specifically for vitamin D. But for those, for example, yes, who have a false risk, those with, uh, you know, uh, we pick up incidentally, silently, that they have, uh, you know, vertebral, the spine fracture, then definitely uh, we can screen them for vitamin D. So actually for the general population that is active, that just leads a normal, healthy lifestyle, we don't really need to to screen this. Um, and the benefit even of being on vitamin D supplement, um, the jury's out there, nobody knows. But for those who have been found to be deficient, um, then yes, you should be um, on the supplement. Most certainly, if you're on osteoporosis treatment, you should be, be on a vitamin D and calcium supplements unless, you know, you're found to actually have a lot of vitamin D. So yes, we do give them. Yeah, so sometimes people may feel that it's an, a, a couple of pills more to the number of pills they have. And, and again, it really has to be seen as a long-term investment. So do we ever stop osteoporosis treatment? It's an ongoing review depending on a person's life course and functional status. At some point, we may decide that somebody is too frail or there are competing priorities in a person's health uh, care 
plan and trajectory and we may stop. But I think that any osteoporosis treatment is better than none. And it will definitely give you benefits if you take it at least for one year. So um, it's not something that, oh, we have to commit to for a decade or two. Uh, but the benefits um, will be continued to be seen. So this is why it's important to look into it and especially not to delay until one is too, too old. If you're already on calcium and vitamin D supplements, they have effect, but the effect will be compounded and much greater, especially if one has osteoporosis and one is commenced on osteoporosis drugs. So at what age should one actually take all this calcium and vitamin D supplements? Yeah, so um, I won't say that there is a specific age for women who are pregnant breastfeeding, especially if you breastfeed for a long time. And I don't think there's any data to say that all women who are breastfeeding should be on calcium, you know, but but this is a group that can definitely consider at, at present to, to take these supplements. Yeah, so... Um, what about older adults? Yeah, Correct. So I, I won't say that everybody blanket should be on calcium and there is no evidence at present for that. So again, the high-risk group. So if anybody is um, at false risk, you know, has had a fall, one or two falls in the past year. People with, uh, you know, some impairment, so uh, people who may have had stroke disease and, you know, there's issue with uh, ambulation, people with cognitive impairment, with Parkinson's, for example, and also specific groups that we look at will be, for example, those in nursing home. I see. So like say somebody with uh, knee problems or having difficulty walking can actually consider this. Um, They can. So again, back to the study that, I think a lot of people, they buy these supplements, you know, from pharmacies and they take them. Uh, they can, but I guess then the question is that if you're already taking them and people already are interested, you know, in calcium, in vitamin D and the bone health, then they should take that next step to go for osteoporosis screening and uh, consult with with, uh, with a medical professional to really assess, you know, the, the state of their bone health. Uh, we do see people who come and they're on calcium already. Uh, they like the calcium and they just feel better taking the calcium. And then sometimes when you offer osteoporosis, they're like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm happy taking calcium alone. But if you have osteoporosis, while calcium helps, you do need the medication to have the full benefit and reduction in fractures. And, and this is why we would encourage people to um, have to go for osteoporosis screening. I see. Interesting. And it all starts with just taking a bone mineral density test, right? And that's a scan. Yes, correct. So, and, and conversely, for some people, they may be found to have very good bone density, in which case um, they can still continue taking the supplements if that makes them happy, but maybe they do not need. So the screening doesn't mean you would definitely have osteoporosis. Um, it is an indication and there might be people for whom actually they're doing very good. And the calcium is really something that they do not really need to take and they can stop, you know, for the time being. I see. Okay, thank you for your time today, Dr. Tan. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm Joyce Teo. Don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to read my articles, we have links in the podcast text description below. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. 
For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O.